بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome to our online class, the beginning of guidance for Muslim women, brought to you by Misk Women, the Muslim Institute for Sacred Knowledge. Uh, welcome back. And uh, just uh, on a technical note, it appears that due to the link that I sent, that there are a number of people coming in under the name Um Abdullah. So please uh, click on your name and uh, see if you can change it inshallah if you want to if you want to sit there under that name and be anonymous it's totally fine as well but if you would like to uh, change your name then uh, please do and i apologize for that and uh, inshallah we will try and uh, fix that error for next time inshallah so uh, please forgive our shortcoming in that department uh, inshallah today we are continuing with our topic of the sins of the tongue and um, I'm hoping to actually finish it if possible so we will get right into it by beginning first of all with our dua of Imam Haddad uh, the great uh, Hadrami scholar of 300 years ago whom everybody would most likely have heard of and this is our dua for seeking knowledge and inshallah it orientates our heart and our mind inshallah so I'll read in Arabic and you can read along or read the English, inshallah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Nawaitu ta'alamu wa ta'alim wa tadakura wa tadkir wa nafa'a wa intifa'a wa al-ifada wa al-istifada wa al-hatha ala tamassuki bi kitabillahi wa sunnati rasulih sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa dua ila al-huda wa dalalata ala al-khair ابتغاء وجه الله ومرضاته وكربه وثوابه سبحانه وتعالى آمين يا رب Okay, بسم الرحمن الرحيم So we're here uh, with the fourth out of eight sins of the tongue which Imam Ghazali has outlined for this particular book The Beginning of Guidance and it's important for us to remember and think about why he chose these uh, eight particular, what they call afatulisan or transgressions of the tongue, because he wrote this book, as we've mentioned before, uh, aiming it at students of knowledge. And um, as we went through in our the first of our online classes and also the first four of our podcast um, sessions, we looked at the introduction and how Imam Ghazali directed this towards students of knowledge and uh, asking them to question and challenge them about their intentions and why they were seeking knowledge and if they had an inclination to draw closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through seeking knowledge, sacred knowledge of the deen, of the Quran, of the sunnah and of all the associated branches then inshallah they should continue and of course be very wary of anything of the nafs, anything of seeking something from the dunya uh, by uh, pursuing a path of knowledge and of course being very aware of the tricks of the shaitan and how the shaitan can come and uh, play with a person's mind and make them think what they're doing is praiseworthy and good when in actual fact it's the opposite. So inshallah we will continue with this um, point here 
Um, we've already looked at the first three, which were lying, breaking a promise, and backbiting, which were covered in the previous lesson. So now we're up to disputation and arguing. Imam Ghazali says to us, avoid wrangling, disputing, and competitive debate with people, as these involve harming the one being addressed and making him feel ignorant. It also involves praising oneself and attesting to one's own superiority in intelligence and knowledge. Moreover, these disturb one's peaceful daily living, for when you debate with a fool, he only annoys you, and when you debate someone more intelligent, he will disdain and detest you. The Prophet said, If a man or person avoids disputing when he is in the wrong, God builds for him a house on the outskirts of paradise. If a man avoids disputing when he's in the right, God builds for him a house in the highest level of paradise. So let's have a look at what our great commentator, Imam al-Jawi, says about that. And he says, uh, first of all, that al-mira, which is disputation, is defined as when you oppose your uh, interlocutor, so the person that you are debating with, uh, by falsifying what they say and by belittling the person who says it. So not only do you try and look for um, problems in their argument, but you also put the person down. And when you are engaged in that, then you try to uh, you try to be the one who. Then then what you do is you look at what they have said already. Okay, so you pull apart their argument. Whereas jidal, which is argumentation, is when you begin with something to oppose them with. So you you come sort of very aggressively and seeking. To, um, to destroy them and their argument from the outset. So you don't wait to hear what they've said and then try and bring it down. You set out there already with something to destroy them based on what you think that they might say. So that's the difference between disputation and argumentation. And then there's another form which is munakasha, which is competitive debate. And that involves a thorough examination of what people say. Um, and that can also include being extremely stubborn and unyielding in your approach in terms of dealing with the person. And sometimes that can involve uh, waiting to hear what the person has said, or it can mean that you come into the argument on the attack already. So this is a differences between the three types of um, dispute or debate or argumentation that are mentioned in the paragraph by Imam Ghazali. So it's clear that obviously you're going to harm the person being addressed and make them feel ignorant. And in doing so, then you're already uh, praising yourself and showing how intelligent and how superior you are. So the point here is, and he's addressing this as we said to students of knowledge, that what you're doing is instead of looking at the truth of the matter and trying to reach uh, a, a truthful or honest outcome or for the, uh, for the sake of knowledge, what you're actually doing is trying to get some type of vindication for yourself. So this is an issue of character more than it is an issue about seeking the truth. And it's interesting uh, that Imam Ghazali mentions that this will actually disturb a person's day-to-day -day life. And Imam al-Jawi says to us, particularly 
so because it comes to you in your prayer so if you've had an argument or or you're planning on having an argument with somebody uh, sisters can you just turn their microphones off when you come in please um, so if you're in that state then it's going to disturb you and the place where it will come to you the most because this is something which is aggravating your lower self and something that the shaitan will definitely play with as well is in your salat so when you're praying then you will be uh, mulling over your arguments you'll be thinking about that person and of course distracted from your prayer so there and this happens i mean we know like you know often in our prayer we'll think about what we're going to cook for dinner or um, need to go and visit someone or perhaps a scene from Ortegro will come in your mind, something like that. And there's a story of a, a man who went to ask a sheikh about finding a treasure that he had buried and it had been buried for some time and he had forgotten where he buried it. And so the sheikh said to him, oh, just stand up and pray to Rakas because in your prayer that's when you think about the things of your dunya and so that tells us to be very aware of what enters our mind and so when we're upset about something or when we feel for our nafs that we want to win and dominate we're definitely going to be affected by that in our prayer So with this hadith here where the Prophet ﷺ says that if a person avoids disputing, so if, if there are two people about to engage in an argument or they've started and the person who knows that he's actually wrong, if he leaves the argument and walks away from it, then he will, it says that Allah will build for him a house on the outskirts of paradise. And if a person walks away from the argument when he knows that he's right, then Allah will build for him a house in the highest level of paradise. And the reason why is because it's so difficult on the nafs. Okay, because as we said, a person wants to be right all the time. And uh, the, the ego and the lower self will go to great lengths to prove to be correct. And without proper training, without proper tarbiyah of the nafs, without a proper concept, first of all, of the need to have self-discipline, and then being shown and guided through a proper sheikh, through a proper murabbi, through somebody who's able to guide you on that path, then a person is just going to fall every time into wanting to vindicate themselves and prove themselves right all the time. So when you know you're right and you can still walk away from an argument, then indeed you have done one of the most difficult things against yourself. You've struggled against probably the most stubborn aspect of yourself which is to be seen to be right and to prove yourself right and for that inshallah you will be rewarded with a house uh, in the highest level of paradise inshallah and Imam Ujawi tells us that um, it's okay to walk away from an argument so it's uh, it, it's permissible to do that um, as, the, as the hadith says, but now the scholars will add something to that. And so what he adds is yes. However, if it is that the point that is being argued is so important that it can't be left, then a person should seek to have the truth or the haq of that particular issue known and not neglected. And also if it means that uh, 
by walking away from an argument, if a person neglects to really bring out the huck of that argument and instead there is some type of corruption or facade or wickedness that dominates, then they should stay in the argument and make sure that the whole issue and the point um, doesn't become uh, falsified and doesn't have an injustice done to it. But then a person would need to know at the time and be very in control of themselves to make that judgment appropriately. And that takes a lot of self-discipline and that takes a lot of uh, knowing yourself and knowing the issues and knowing why you want to be in that argument and whether or not you should be. The middle paragraph here so he says you should not allow shaitan to deceive you by saying speak the truth clearly and do not mislead so that relates uh, to our point about being in control of yourself shaitan is always trying to entice fools to evil presented in the guise of good do not become a laughing stock for shaitan by letting him ridicule you making the truth manifest is good when there is someone who will accept it from you this is by way of honest, sincere counsel, not by way of disputation. So here the advice that's given is don't think all the time that just because you feel that you're right about something that you necessarily are and that you um, have this authority and that you have a need to make your own view come forth every time. So obviously that's something that the shaitan is going to play with you a lot because it's really, really upsetting your lower self and the shaitan knows how to whisper to you where you have to say all the time, but I'm right and, and everybody needs to know that. So um, so that's a fairly self-explanatory. And then there's another uh, version of that uh, particular hadith or something similar to it where a person also will get a high place in Jannah for having soft speech and this is where this idea of nasiha comes so if you know that somebody has a particular view that needs to be addressed and perhaps their view is wrong then you need to give them nasiha which is um, honest and sincere counsel and the best way to deal with people is through that and not through an act of a disputation and it's interesting that the word nasiha actually in its lexical form uh, means to sew something up or to patch something up so when a person requires advice or counsel then there's it's almost like there's a hole or there's some tearing or something there that needs to be repaired and that needs um, a sifa which is the way in which it's done or the quality the quality how do you do that and then the form that that takes and so Imam al-Ghazali tells us um, that it requires talatuf, uh, it requires gentleness. Um, otherwise, it will disgrace the person, okay, and humiliate the person. So, if you don't know that when there's a, a difference of opinion, that you need to have a, a gentle way of speaking, then what will probably happen is you'll end up um, hurting the person more than doing any good by speaking to them. And then in the final paragraph here, and this is really uh, addressed to uh, the students of knowledge of his time, whoever has associated with the theologians and jurists of his time, 
will find his nature increasingly dominated by disputation and silence will be difficult for him. Okay, so this is because evil scholars have given him the idea that wrangling and disputation are what constitutes excellence and that the ability to demonstrate skill in argumentation and competitive debate is indeed what earns him praise. Flee from these scholars as you would flee from a lion and know that disputation is a means for incurring the hatred of both God and creation. So when he um, mentions this, of course, because back in the day before the Enlightenment, okay, and in the Muslim world, which was extremely vast, but had a lot of unifying practices and principles and the development of knowledge uh, is something that was quite uniform across the entire Muslim world and across all the different languages and cultures and, and places where it was. So there were great centers of learning in, um, in Bukhara and Samarkand and Andalus and uh, right throughout Turkey and going right through uh, later to um, the Southeast Asia, Malaysia, Indonesia, all over. So right across North Africa, of course. So we had a uniformity there in how knowledge was um, learnt and generated and the the way in which the sharia developed was through proper debate so if you look at your trivium for example um, where you have like grammar and logic and rhetoric then this area of debate comes in the rhetoric part so people who've studied the trivium or the quadrivium or they've read certain things about these traditional ways of learning will be familiar with that. So grammar is where you learn everything, logic is your understanding, and then rhetoric is now your um, eloquence and the way in which you argue and uh, present your information and your side of the argument. And it was uh, based upon this that the sharia uh, grew and developed and, of course, has been... Um, able to uh, meet the needs of every single time and place in which it is. So the thing is that an evil scholar will be one who tells the students that the only way for you um, to prove that you have skill is in this form of argumentation. And of course, uh, outwardly, it would look like that, but inwardly, of course, there has to be akhlaq. There has to be a proper tarbiyah of the nafs. And we will know, for example, from the great Imam Malik, uh, anhu, that uh, a lot of the time he was asked questions and he said, I don't know. And that's a little bit of a different issue, but the point I want to make with that is to show that he had this humbleness and humility before knowledge, and it wasn't his goal to go out there and prove how much he knew, either in a question and answer format or and we're meant to take that and apply that to a debating type of format as well. However, the major point that uh, differentiates the Islamic scholarly tradition and the current modern secular academic tradition that we have now is that the Islamic scholarly tradition is based on proofs. So it's based on textual evidence and it's based on methodologies and um, on uh, elaborating and um, adducing types of evidences from those sources. And that differs to the academic tradition today where it is not based on sources. It's not knowledge. We don't find particularly, and I'm talking about social sciences and education, so sociology, uh, politics, and these types of things that you would study in the humanities or arts section of a modern secular university today, where you would get, of course, your 
uh, feminism and social justice and all the rest of it. So the thing about knowledge today is the argumentation that goes on is not based on proofs. It's not grounded or rooted in any type of tradition, but rather all it does is it describes phenomena. And the argumentation that goes on, whether it be in academia or in the political field or on Twitter, for example, where everyone wants to have what you call in Australia your two bobs worth, okay, two bob is like 20 cents. Um, so everybody wants his two bob, which means everybody wants to throw in their comment. And the problem is that all you're doing and all they're doing is discussing outward things. There's no grounding or rooting of that knowledge. And this is where it, the, the difference comes in in our time. So in doing that, they're not showing any causation for anything, but they're merely opining on what they see, what they think they see, and then putting that into an ideological framework where they talk about what they want to see. So they distort often the current reality and put it into a type of uh, framework or worldview where they talk about issues say social justice issues based on how they want them to be rather than how uh, they necessarily really are. So this is the main difference there and of course Twitter is probably the biggest forum for allowing people to talk whatever nonsense they want and completely unrestricted um, where people just abuse each other and talk whatever they want in the worst possible way um, that is uh, warned against here by Imam Ghazali. Yeah, this is a hadith here where the Prophet ﷺ has said that a servant's iman is not complete until he leaves off argumentation. So it's very much a part of understanding a person's place as a servant and believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not having to have your nafs and your opinion vindicated in every possible moment. So I think inshallah that that's the main points that we can take from that. Uh, the next uh, transgression of the tongue, the fifth one, is ascribing goodness to oneself. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says uh, in an ayah, فَلَا تُزَكُّوا أَنفُسَكُمْ هُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِمَنِ وَقِيلَ لِبَعْدِ الْحُكَمَاءِ So he says here, restrain the tongue from ascribing goodness to oneself so praising oneself for your good qualities Allah Ta'ala said do not ascribe goodness to yourselves he meaning Allah is more knowing of the one who is God fearing and somebody asked a sage or a wise person what is true yet abhorrent and he replied a man's praise of himself and Imam Ghazali says so beware of forming the habit of doing that and know that ascribing goodness to oneself lowers your esteem in the estimation of people and necessarily leads to God's hatred of you. So Imam Ujawi tells us that praising oneself means um, praising yourself because of your purity and lack of lowliness and you do it in a way that amazes you. So where you become really sort of um, amazed at how how amazing you are basically so you know you don't have this sin you don't have that you don't have this low quality or that low quality but really that you just think you're pretty fantastic 
um, and that you will actually make mention of that and show that to people. So this is a most unpraiseworthy quality to praise yourself. Um, and he says that, however, if it's done in order to recognize a particular blessing, then that's okay. Um, particularly if you want to be thankful for it. So if you know that you've been blessed with a good quality, and we all have, okay, every single person has qualities in them that Allah has put there for a certain reason, for that person to know themselves and recognize the good qualities that they have and to use them for your akhirah. So you're meant to use your kindness and your goodness and your honesty and, and your skills at doing things in a way that will benefit you here and in your next life, inshallah. So your good qualities are not for you to try and show how great you are, but on the contrary, um, they exist for you to be grateful for them. And, and if it means that you are able to teach other people or show something to other people through those qualities, then it becomes a praiseworthy thing to, uh, I mean, not sort of to make overt mention of it, but certainly not to hide it, but to use those qualities in a good way, as long as it doesn't lead to any type of fitna. So the fitna there would be for example, you know, you're showing off or um, showing people all the things you've earned from, say, the money you earned because of uh, your skill or whatever. And uh, we're also cautioned that, of course, it's always better to try and cover these things. So to be humble and to act humbly, but not to the point where you feel depressed or you feel a lack of confidence and think, oh, I haven't got anything to offer the world and I'm so useless. No, that type of thinking doesn't fit with the Islamic worldview. It doesn't fit with a person of Iman. Every single person has excellent qualities and we need to help each other see those qualities in ourselves so that we don't fall into that way of thinking of not having self-esteem and not having self-confidence and thinking that we're useless and what am I doing here? No, we have to help each other tap into those good qualities that we have. But because this is a book which is teaching us akhlaq, which is teaching us good character, then not to go overboard with that. Okay, so um, again, this might be applicable to students of knowledge or to people who want to kind of come up in a scholarly community where they would make mention of the good and pious qualities in themselves. So we need to keep the, the, this reading in context as well for our own time and the types of issues that we are facing in this particular time. So Imam Ghazali says that um, if you want to know how your ascribing goodness to yourself does not cause an increase in your esteem in the estimation of others, then consider your own reaction to your contemporaries when they praise themselves for their excellence, influence and wealth. Um, your mind refuses to acknowledge what they claim, your nature feels it burdensome and you criticize them for it when you have left them. So you see people showing off and you do think to yourself, oh my goodness, it would be so much better if people didn't show off what they had and if they didn't ascribe that to themselves because everything that comes to you of good is from Allah and what we need to do is um, humbly acknowledge and accept that but also be savvy enough to be able to work with that and know subhanallah Allah has blessed me with something how can I be aware of that and use it for good however when that's done publicly 
Um, Imam Ghazali says that when you ascribe goodness to yourself, they also blame you in their minds while you are present. So they look at you and think, oh, you know, you're a bit, uh, you're a bit full of yourself. And after you have left their company, they give voice to their opinion. So they might even talk about you in a bad way now. So you um, sort of showing how pious and clever and amazing you are um, is actually undermining you, um, not only with people, but with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you don't want to give others any encouragement to speak about you uh, in a negative way. So going back to this comment here where uh, where a sage was asked, so Imam Jawi tells us that the hukama who are mentioned here are wise people as opposed to being doctors. So this is interesting use of language because the Hakim is also a doctor of prophetic medicine. So he just clarifies that point and he says it's not the doctors who are being asked, but it's the hukama, so wise people, and he says he says they are those who put things in the right place um, and they are the awliya al-salihun so they are the friends of Allah like the saints and the pious people so that's who he's referring to and they are actually the doctors of the hearts and so somebody who was asked, so somebody was asked what's something true yet abhorrent and this person said um, a man's praise of himself and Imam Ujawi tells us why because it's one of the signs of him being mahjub ta'ala. so someone who is veiled from Allah so if a person only praises and sees what's good in themselves and thinks that it's from them then they're actually covering themselves from the reality which is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed them um, with great blessings Okay, we'll go on to the next one, uh, cursing, which is number six. And Imam Azali tells us, So he says that beware of cursing anything which Allah Ta'ala has created, whether animal or food or a man or a person himself. So he says don't specify things okay so this is um, important as we'll get to in a moment so you don't talk about that thing in you don't curse that thing itself um, and he particularly warns against making comments or la'an as it's called in Arabic um, about another Muslim so people of the Qibla who are Muslims by saying that that person by cursing them and speaking badly about them by saying oh they're a polytheist or an infidel or a hypocrite um, and this is a really important point um, as we've seen in sort of recent global history of the absolute horrendous consequences of people taking it upon themselves to make these statements about other Muslims um, and so we seek refuge in Allah from that, um, that we should put a person down and speak about them and curse them with any of those particular qualities. So it is permissible though to speak about things in a general way. So instead of saying, oh, you know, may Allah curse this person or that person, 
Um, it's possible to look at uh, somebody who might be oppressive or somebody who is um, in some way doing something really wrong and saying, may Allah curse the people with that particular quality, for example. However, there's no need for it, okay? So the thing is that, you know, often you'll see a lot of wrongdoing and you'll want to respond to that and ask Allah to take that away, but it's better to ask for the evil of people to be taken away rather than the people themselves because we don't know what good will come and people go through different stages in life. People um, are not always on the straight path and Muslims will go this way and that way and we don't know who's going to end up in the best state at the end and we ask Allah for husnul khatima so we try not to judge people even though we look at sometimes the actions of people which are clearly wrong and our way of determining what's right and wrong is through the sharia is through the scale of right and wrong that has been given to us through that because that scale is the same scale that everybody will be judged upon on the day of judgment so it's not like there's one rule here and another rule there. It's the same all the way through. So the more a person is on the mizan, is balanced between halal and haram, right and wrong, and on that straight path between the two, then inshallah, that's how your scales are going to be weighed up on the day of judgment. And the more of the halal and the good and the khair and everything that's right you have in your scales, obviously you're going to benefit from that in the akhirah inshallah and we ask Allah to make us people of the haq and people of khair and people whose scales are heavy and the heaviest of anything to go in the scale as the hadith says is husnul khuluq is good character and that's exactly again what Imam Ghazali is um, trying to call everybody to so watch your tongue don't accuse people of things don't curse people and uh, really try and get in control of what it is that you say. He also goes on to say that you won't be asked on the day of judgment about why you didn't curse people or why were you silent about what some people did. And he says that even if throughout your life you never cursed Iblis, uh, the shaitan, and you never employed your tongue in mentioning him, you will not be asked concerning that on the day of resurrection. However, if you have cursed any creature of God, you will be asked to give account of that. So again, what you don't say, you won't be held accountable for. And then he says, never blame anything created by God. Indeed, the Prophet would never criticize food that was not good. Rather, if he wanted anything, he ate it. Otherwise, he left it alone. So there are huge lessons in that for us, in the adab that we need to have for the khalq, for the creation. It might be something doesn't please you, but does that mean it's bad? Does that mean it's worthy of your negative comment or your criticism or your judgment? Um, often no. And so uh, when it comes to food particularly or things that are very personal, I don't like this, I don't like that, oh, it's not comfortable, oh, it's not pretty, whatever, then maybe it is comfortable and pretty to somebody else. Or maybe it's the most delicious thing ever to somebody else. So it's best just to remain silent and to know that Allah has created every single atom in this universe for a reason and with his wisdom. And it's up to us to have the adab towards those things by having adab to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and understanding that, well, even if I have an opinion about it, doesn't mean I need to speak badly about that.
he also mentions here, this is Imam al-Jawi, that some of the uh, common, commonly used terms that people use to sort of curse each other, this is in Arabic, is they call each other a donkey. This is extremely insulting to call someone a donkey, or uh, which is himar, or a taste, which is a mountain goat or a kelp, which is a dog. So to be uh, called that is uh, really offensive. Um, and I guess to English speakers, it doesn't seem that bad because you could probably uh, think of a, a few other things which would be far worse than that. But in the Arabic language and Arabic culture, this is really insulting. And so um, Imam al-Jawi puts a, a paragraph in here from Imam al-Nawawi explaining why insulting someone or cursing somebody with those words is actually bad and he says first of all because it's a lie okay because a human being is not a donkey or a goat or a dog um, and second of all because it's harmful to the person it makes them feel bad um, and he said but this is different to if you said to someone yell darling okay like oh you oppressor or you transgressor and the reason why is because if you did say that to somebody, for example, in the heat of an argument or something, and then you would have to apologize for that. But also because um, sometimes it's true. Um, you know, and he says, is there a human being who hasn't oppressed anyone? Is there somebody who is free from that? And no, and no at, at different times we can be, um, oppressive and overbearing and, and rude and take away the rights of other people knowingly or unknowingly so it is a quality that every person has um, in them and it is a quality that a lot of people will actually manifest at some point or another in their life so that's uh, another angle so this so the reason why i'm sort of bringing these things out is is to show the depth and the range of ideas and the range of a discussion that goes into looking at these particular points like from a scholarly point of view the seventh one is uh, imam ghazali um, advises us um, to guard our tongue against supplicating against creation and he says here so guard your tongue against making any dua against anyone of the or anything of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so of any creature even if that person has oppressed you and he says consign the matter of his oppressing you to God Okay, now this is really interesting for the time that we live in because we live in a time where rights and justice are really dominating uh, not just the media, but uh, school curricula, um, academia, politics, and this very ideological type of worldview, secular worldview that uh, we are being consumed by all the time. So... <clears throat> There's a story here, and this is now, if you, if you look at this concept of rights and um, people oppressing other people, there are many ways of trying to understand that. But one particular story here brings out a Islamic worldview. It brings out this concept of relationship between people and where that stands in relationship 
uh, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there's a story of, uh, of a Habib who was uh, walking down the street um, at a time when people would throw things out their windows. So from tall uh, buildings and in Hadramaut and different places in Yemen, uh, there's an area there called Shibam. Uh, which used to be called the, the the New York of the desert. You know, it's probably better names, but sort of got nicknamed that probably by some Orientalists uh, because you could because they built mud brick houses that were up to nine stories tall. So they were like skyscrapers at the time. So there would be people up on the top floor might throw something out the window, um, and then somebody would uh, inevitably get um, affected by that. So this Habib was walking down the street and somebody threw some ash out of the window and it landed on his white turban and spoilt it. And so what he did was he looked up and he said, and he, he rebuked himself and he said, you know, I, I deserve that. And he said, I actually deserve the fire and I got some of it. Okay, because he got the ash, which is a leftovers from a fire. And so the point is that when he got sort of oppressed like that, so when he got um, dirtied by somebody throwing something out the window, he didn't abuse that person and he didn't think that person was in the wrong. Rather, he looked at himself and he thought, you know, perhaps I even deserve more than that. And perhaps this is a lesson for me. And maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is trying to teach me something by this. So he looked at his own faults before he looked at the fault of the person. He didn't stand there on the street and, and yell out insulting comments and abuse them. But rather he took it as something that he needed to learn from. And as a sign that perhaps there's something about him that he needed to look at rather than abusing somebody else. So... When we look at uh, this concept of uh, making dua against people, then we need to take that particular uh, view into consideration because if someone has oppressed you, then give it back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and leave it up to Allah. And the hadith says, the oppressed prays against his oppressor until he takes his right. So you... And if you are an oppressed person, your dua is answered. So if you're being really oppressed by someone, you can uh, pray for Allah to lift you out of that circumstance, for Allah to change your circumstances, okay? And for that person to be removed and for that person to change um, until the point where that oppression is lifted from you. And if that's not in the dunya, then it will be in the akhirah. So you will get your right. And part of the certainty, the yaqeen of the believer is knowing that every single thing that happens, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows about. And if you are being oppressed and if your rights are being taken and if there is wrongdoing being done to you, don't think Allah is ignorant of that. On the contrary, Allah knows exactly what is going on. And this is a test for you and something that you can either make to your advantage or not. And that's a completely different way of understanding the world from the social justice uh, point of view, which everybody thinks is the only way to go. We have to uh, rebel. We have to bring down systems. We have to fight. We have to have a revolution. We have to protest. So they all deserve their own discussion but if we're looking at things from the point of view of akhlaq of character of self-discipline and tarbiyah and understanding and following properly 
from a properly informed Islamic worldview, then we need to look at ourselves and our relationship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first. So this is where things change and what they, this is where they pivot, okay? Do we pivot on the external or do we pivot on the internal? And they're the types of changes that we need to look at. Um, so to finish the hadith then, um, it says that there, so the person prays against his oppressor then continues until his oppressor has a claim over him, which he will demand on the day of resurrection. So it's possible for the oppressed to transgress against the oppressor by seeking too much, by seeking their destruction or by um, seeking uh, something which transgresses that person's right. And then on the day of judgment, the oppressor will be claiming his right against the oppressed. So again, an interesting way, a, a change, because you can go overboard, okay, and you can do the wrong thing thinking that you're doing right. Then there's this paragraph here about, uh, which illustrates that, so Al-Hajjaj, who was, uh, it's a political topic really, I don't really want to go into it, but it's in the, the early history of the Muslims where um, where he, he was oppressive, and so it's using this example that, um, again, so just as, as Allah would take vengeance uh, for Al-Hajjaj against those who attacked him verbally, so he will certainly take vengeance against Al-Hajjaj for those whom he has oppressed. So it's possible for an oppressor to be oppressed by others as well. So when it comes to uh, to this point, as we've said, then hand it over to Allah, give it back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and plead and ask Allah to change these circumstances and to change the oppressive person so that you don't not only get oppressed by someone but you don't oppress yourself by destroying your own akhlaq, by destroying your character and doing further wrong against yourself by your own hands because you're not handling the situation properly. And so when that comes, for example, I want to give an example here of um, a time, I think it was 2008, when there was a very aggressive bombing campaign by Israel against uh, Palestine, I think the I think Gaza or the West Bank, I'm not sure exactly, but anyway, very very aggressive and extremely destructive. And uh, one of my friends was in a class with uh, Sayyidina Habib Omar, and they mentioned this to him, and of course everyone was aware of it. And they said, um, what do you think about us going out on the street in our countries and protesting um, about this action? And he said, it would be better for people to stand up in the last third of the night and pray to rakaz. Okay, so when we talk about spiritual activism, then we need to include those acts as well. Spiritual activism isn't just about looking at the issues and going out there and fighting from within the worldview of people who don't even believe in Allah, but it's about using what we know as believers and supplicating and struggling within this worldview that we have, which we know is correct and sound and good, because Allah is the one who changes. Allah, He's the one who changes the hearts. And as we said, nothing gets past Him because He's in control of everything. So we need to consider that aspect of our what's termed spiritual activism uh, rather than trying to make things fit into other things where they may not necessarily do so. Okay, our last one, and then we will have finished this section, inshallah, 
is on jesting, ridiculing, and making fun of people. So, obviously, most unpraiseworthy. So, Imam Ghazali says, Fafadisanaka minhu fil jiddi wal hazal. So guard your tongue against making fun of people and ridiculing people in serious circumstances and also um, in, in a joking way. Okay, so a person should be aware all the time because he says that um, this will make you lose your honor and diminish people's respect for you and cause people to have an aversion for you and damage their hearts. So when an Imam Ujawi tells us is he says you should absolutely completely hold back from doing this. Okay, and he's saying that there is no place for a person to do any of these things because what it involves is looking for flaws and faults and deficiencies in other people and then using it in a humorous way to laugh about that person. And that's so disparaging. Um, and that's so destructive that should that person know about it, you will really, really break their heart. And also, it makes the person making that statement look bad. It's like, well, are you so low that you can only pick on something about somebody else that they may have no control over or that is an unfortunate circumstance or whatever is the case. Um, and that's not just done only by a person's speech. But he says also by an action such as a gesturing or hand movement or some type of indication um, which makes a mockery of somebody else and could in fact lead to riba, to backbiting and other sins as well. Uh, one of the other points he makes too is that yeah, these acts can also be a source of or lead to disputation, falling out with people, and it sows hatred in the hearts for other people. So do not make fun of anyone. And then Imam Ghazali tells us, if somebody makes fun of you, then do not respond, okay? Because that's how you get into this argumentation and falling out with people. Do not respond, but rather turn away from them until they engage in some other discourse or conversation. And he says, he says, be one of those who, when they pass by idle talk, pass by with dignity. And this is at the end of Surah Al-Furqan, where there are about 14 qualities um, of a believing person. So they're all mentioned in that last section. And uh, this is the one where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, oh, have I got, where is it? Oh, I didn't put the Arabic. Um, when they pass by idle talk, um, they pass by with dignity. Okay, so not to engage, but to just keep going. So Imam Ghazali tells us here about the uh, consequences of our actions. So he doesn't just say to us, don't do this and don't do that, but he says why. And so he tells us by engaging in this, this is what will happen. And so we can often be so lighthearted or so ignorant or negligent about the things that come out of our mouths and we don't realize the great harm uh, that they might actually be inflicting on other people. And the state of a believer is to be one of mercy. And the Prophet was, We did not send you except to be a mercy to the world. So a person who's serious about their traveling back to Allah, a person who's serious about the state of heart that they're going to meet their Lord in, is somebody who is very serious about what they say and how they say it and conscious of potential negative consequences. 
So just to look at the concluding remarks here, then Imam Ghazali says, so in terms of the afatul lisan, so the um, transgressions of the tongue, wala ya'inuka alayhi illa al-uzla, aw mulazamatu samti illa biqadri darura. Um, and he says, so these eight sins comprise the sins of the tongue. Nothing will assist you against them except solitude. So pulling away from people where it's possible. And we mentioned in another class, Imam Nawawi's advice on that, that if you're, for example, in the company of people who are saying things that you don't want to hear, then you busy yourself with dhikr, with your tongue, or with your heart and your tongue, or think about something so you won't need to listen. So even when you're with people you don't have to be with them so to speak okay so but uzla actually means some form of isolation and that might uh, or i mean in different times that is applicable in our time there's certainly an argument uh, for it but also an argument against it because people are so weak in their iman and generally in the ummah and people need stronger people around them to help guide them give them that nasiha that was just mentioned um, and to try and show people um, a better way inshallah so it depends on the type of personality but imam ghazali says that that's definitely one method of helping you help yourself by not saying things which are transgressing against other people and of course ultimately your own soul and to maintain silence except when there is a need to talk. And then it's mentioned here that Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu used to place a stone in his mouth to prevent himself from speaking. So some say a stone, some say a couple of small pebbles. Um, and he used to point to his tongue and say, this is what has brought all troubles upon me. Um, and then it's said here that when he passed away may Allah be pleased with him that somebody saw him in a dream and it was said to him um, what did your tongue bring you okay so what what's your hisad what's the what have you or what are you reaping from your tongue because we know that a person from we know from the hadith a person will be thrown into the hellfire because of what they have uh, sown and reaped with their words and he says in this dream, said Abu Bakr Siddiq said, Kultu bihi, I said with my tongue, La ilaha illallah fa'awradanil jannah. He said, I said la ilaha illallah and it has brought me the jannah. So inshallah, we pray that our tongues will indeed be busy with dhikr all the time and that our tongues, and Imam al-Haddad says, Jurmuhu sagheer wa jirmuhu kabir. So with the tongue, its size is small and its sin is great. So we pray that Allah makes us people that we use this little tiny muscle inside of us for good and that we use it to constantly be in a state of dhikr and remembrance and good speech and nasiha and uh, praising uh, other people and uh, looking at the best in other people and speaking well all the time of course quran is the best speech the hadith of the prophet والسلام, is the best speech the stories of the sahaba the awliya the anbiya um, and uh, those great people of history for example so inshallah we, we need to look at where we can say good as opposed to where we can say bad try and vindicate ourselves defend ourselves and 
and have our opinion about things which ultimately might not be very worthy opinions anyway if they're not based and grounded in a proper worldview with a proper understanding or informed with proper and clear and sound knowledge. So finally Imam Ghazali says, so guard against the tongue to the best of your ability for it is the greatest means of your destruction in this world and in the hereafter. So that should be enough of a warning inshallah and of course we need to attach ourselves and we ask Allah to attach us to the salihin to the people who have perfected their character and who are able to guide others to perfecting their own and inshallah to keep us away from people who um, spoil our character and that we might spoil theirs as well but instead to connect us with the real proper shiuch of this a way of this a path of living um, and to connect us through the Prophet والسلام, by following him with the most sincerity and siddiq and knowing inshallah that all these things will come and pass us by and that our goal is to approach them and deal with them and pass through them with the best character and with the best understanding and we ask Allah to give us all of that and to protect us from oppressing ourselves with our tongues and uh, with the words that we say so inshallah uh, we ask for guidance always and knowledge and for forgiveness from each other and of course from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wa sallallahu ala sayyidina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi sallam al-fatiha subhanakallahum wa bihamdik ashadu an la ilaha illa and astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk Jazakumullah khair. Thank you so much. Please forgive me for my shortcomings and for going a bit over time. Inshallah, if you have any any questions, anything at all, please don't hesitate to contact us on any of the platforms and um, keep us all in your du'as, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.